John Huntress's song uh, seems to tie into this letter that uh, someone handed me this morning. Dear Hugh and Gail, I found out late yesterday that I'm working today. I was so disappointed not to be able to be at church again, and I felt that way until this morning. I'd put a great deal of meaning on being at church today and also on not working today. <laughs> and then I realized there is no meaning in this, and the weight of meaning was lifted, and I feel wonderful. Jesus is with me wherever I am, and he's, and he's with everyone who comes into the store. So how can I be disappointed? That was such a nice thought that the, that the Christ accompanies everyone. And I, I would guess that the uh, disc jockey that uh, John was referring to must have seen that must have seen the innocence of each caller, must have seen uh, the same fears, same loneliness, same hopes, the same self in all the callers. So many people feel as if they have to get out of what they're doing. Whatever they're doing is not spiritual enough. It's just surprising how often people get caught up in that, thinking that there is one occupation that's more spiritual than another, and theirs for sure is not. And there's this awful tension, this, this awful longing. What was the name of the poetry book? The Awful Rowing Toward God? And there is indeed this awful rowing toward God, which gets us nowhere. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's rowing up the stream hard and fast <laughs> rather than gently down it. And it simply is going in the wrong direction. It truly doesn't matter what we do. It matters how much God we bring into it and we can change forms from now until the day we die, and we will not be in one whit more spiritual in activity unless we have added some simple peace to the whole thing and some love and some kindness. And so we truly can be content with what we're doing. That doesn't mean that if we're in a, in a job, that makes it very difficult for us to turn to God. It makes it difficult for us to be kind and peaceful, that we might not find a job that's easier, but it is certainly not more spiritual. Nor will we find a more spiritual spouse or a more spiritual friend. That simply is not true. And leads so beautifully into the topic this morning. <laughs> oh, incidentally... <clears throat> uh, Last Sunday, I, I referred to the, the late Manny, or the late <laughs> Dr. Manny. This distressed some people. Now, <laughs> uh, I just meant that he was late, that's all. <laughs> he was always late. 
must not read too much into these things. No, no. Uh, down in New Claude, uh, Manny is going strong. He, there are more words after uh, uh, Manny's ministerial school than ever before now because he's now a central heating sa- uh, salesman along with, <laughs> along with the hamburgers and the massage. <clears throat> but in the Texas Panhandle, there's not a great call for central heating. <laughs> But Manny does not pick his occupations. He saw great symbolism in that. <laughs> and uh, he calls it inner self enterprises. And he really doesn't care whether they buy the central heating. He just likes the idea of selling it. So, <laughs> so I thought this morning that we would talk about, uh, well, the title is uh, short, medium, and long-term encounters. <laughs> medium, medium means they're neither uh, rare or well done. <laughs> they're frequent and poorly done. <laughs> so by medium, I mean the intense short-term relationships. So popular this time. But let's start with... <laughs> and when once, and it, during which, once again, you embarrass yourselves in front of everyone by, well, she's just, she's just not like all the others. And then you reel off the same words that you've used 300 times before. <laughs> um, so first of all, let's talk about just little short encounters, these going out with someone at, for lunch at the office or um, meeting someone on the plaza and stopping and talking for a little bit or having to go out um, sightseeing with relatives or, you know, there's just endless little encounters. And they bother people a lot. Uh, people have a great deal of problems with these little conversations, these little uh, encounters. And so I thought maybe I'd just talk just a little bit about some things that might be helpful. None of this will be exhaustive. This are, these are just some helpful hints. Uh, so you know that you have an encounter coming up, a brief, a little encounter coming up. What might be helpful? It is very helpful to not categorize the person that you're going to be with, that you're going to go out to dinner with, or that you're going to uh, do this job with, or whatever the thing may be. This is an extremely difficult habit to break. We do put people in little boxes. We have little tags that we stamp on their forehead, and we stare at the tag and not into the heart of the individual as we talk to them, waiting them for waiting for them to prove us true once again, that indeed we have them pegged correctly. So you can safely assume that if you're going to be with anyone, you do in fact have them pegged. You think you know something about them that's different from Christ. And anything that's different from Christ, you can safely forget Know nothing about them. See them, if you like, as a total stranger, but a good one, 
So that's, that's a good thing to do. It's a nice way to prepare for one of these little encounters. And another thing that can be very helpful, if you have something coming up, and we do usually several times a day, is to be clear as to your purpose. So the ego will assign a different purpose for each encounter. Do not think that you have escaped that somehow. You have not only categorized the individual, but you have set a purpose for the encounter that is different than Christ, that is different than simply sinking back into the arms of love. Put your purpose in any words that you wish, to simply be at peace or to see innocence. Recently, I found it helpful to sort of think of sitting deeply in peace, sitting very, very deeply and talking slowly from the peace, not talking until I knew I was peaceful about what I was about to say. And this got me through a difficult situation. I kept coming back to that over and over during this uh, encounter, this brief encounter that was lasted just one little evening at a restaurant. Now, during the encounter, there are some things that can be helpful. Now, as I've said before, whenever we have a good idea, the ego immediately makes it into a rule. This is just a good idea. This is not a new fetish for you to practice, do you see? This is not something to be rigid about. The way home is gentle and peaceful. And it is so broad that it's infinite. It includes everyone and everything, every idea, every situation. And so we wish to take that gentleness and that peace with us. We don't want to, for a moment, not walk home. What is the point of that? Why carve out little times during the day and say, well, time off, I'll be miserable. <laughs> this is insanity. There is no drudgery to walking home because it's in the present and because you've never left home. There is no longing for God because God is with you. And so it's a sinking back into God, an acceptance of God. That's the way home. It only seems like a journey. It only appears that there's a distance that must be traveled. But never, in fact, is that the case. So why take time off? If you feel an excitement about taking time off, you can be sure that the time you are taking is not being properly used because it is a time of rest and happiness, relaxation and freedom. We must be firm in peace. We must be strong in peace. We cannot let our, our mind jump to criticism, self-condemnation, jealousy, anger, and all the other array of things that we get caught up in. That isn't relaxation. So there is a firmness. There is a strength 
and staying centered in the Christ spirit. It does take mental discipline, but it is not ego discipline, which always involves some tiredness and strain. So when your ego says, well, you're going to be with so-and-so, take the evening off. Notice where you're being taken off to before you agree to this. How often do we come away from these little encounters and we are not happy and we are not satisfied and there's this gnawing feeling that it didn't go right. And there was this, this feeling of, oh, we could have been close. I could have had a V8. Uh, and we weren't, we weren't close. So, here are some good ideas. Not rules, some good ideas. You will find that you cause yourself trouble whenever you discuss other egos. If you discuss someone who is not present, this causes trouble. Now, I know this sounds like a tremendous sacrifice. <laughs> and you don't have to do it. All you have to do is just watch what happens when you do it. You discuss some brother, some sister, who is not there. And you say nice things about them, interspersed with the other things that you say about them. <laughs> People, it doesn't matter whether you say nice things about them or unnice things about them. Simply notice the effect that it has on your mind when you discuss someone who is not present. Is this a divine rule? No, this is simply the way the world operates. There's no moral law here. It is simply a fact that when we discuss other egos, it calls to the ego of the person that we are talking to, and it calls to our own ego. It is very difficult for someone to turn down your gift of attack. And so when you open up the subject of this other ego, don't be surprised that they take your gift of attack and use it with glee. Now, maybe that sounds too harsh, gift of attack. Opportunity to attack. Opportunity to get in just a few little digs. Opportunity to contrast ourselves, To show that we are not like that by telling everybody else how the person is. Now, I know this sounds as a sacrifice because this constitutes 99.8% of all human conversation. <laughs> and so you don't want to stand there rigidly, tensing the muscles in your face, screwing your eyes up to heaven. But it's better to do that than it is to discuss other egos for your happiness. But you can be gentle. You can actually discuss anything if you're peaceful and kind. But most people aren't peaceful and kind. <laughs> and so it's simply best to stay away from that kind of subject if you can. And if you forget, as of course we all do, then you forgive yourself quickly. You be prepared to forgive yourself quickly. What's another thing? 
it is best. You will be happier. The encounter will go better if you do not express your opinions. We identify with our opinions. Our ego is simply a basket full of opinions. That's all it is. So when you express your opinion on any subject, <clears throat> you call to the opinions of the other person. And then you will feel a slight sadness, a tinge of estrangement, a little anxiety as you realize that their opinion is not quite your opinion, although you're both trying very hard to make them sound the same way. But they don't sound the same way because it is impossible for two egos to agree on anything. Despite falling in love and that brief period in which everybody pretends that they agree on everything, including the show they just had just seen and the, and the little delicate morsel that they hand on the trembling fork into the person's mouth. Ah, yes, I like that as much as you do. <laughs> and they quietly spit it into their napkin. <laughs> this is not a sad state of affairs. It's simply the way it is, and it always has been. It's sad because we think, we fool ourselves into thinking that egos agree. But you do agree with the person before you because the person before you is not an ego, nor are you. There is a deep, deep agreement between you and this person. So get on the level of agreement. Ride on the peace. Forget your words. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Concentrate on the bond between you. Concentrate on the similarities, not the similarities within the world, but the similarities of the heart. Your heart beats as one with this person before you. No matter what their occupation, their vocabulary, their opinions, their age, or anything else. Simply sit there or stand there and watch their body talk. Let the words pour over you. It is possible to not listen to the ego. You might try this as a practice. Someone begins saying some things that you think are distressing you, that you don't think you agree with, that you think perhaps you should even take a moral stand and point out uh, that they are incorrect. Notice that you don't even have to listen to their ego. This doesn't mean that your eyes wander around and you yawn. You just let the words pour over you like a spring rain over a bullfrog. <laughs> Or something, I don't know. Use your own image. <laughs> Let the words pour over you. Let the opinions pour over you. Don't catch them. Don't grab them up. Don't take them to heart. That's just their little ego. You've got an ego too. My ego is no better than yours. Anyone can say that at any level of learning. Until you have no ego, what ego you have is no better than anyone else's. And so you just let it pour over you. You just watch the mouth open and close. 
open and close. Pretend it's a foreign language. <laughs> now, what you'll find if you, if you try this, and why are you trying this? So you can see your brother and your sister who stands before you, because as long as you're seeing the ego and making that important, and fighting it, and defending it, and worrying about it, you cannot see who stands before you. Yourself. You cannot see that. And so that's why you practice this. Now, as you do so, and the words pour over you, and they watch the mouth open and close, did you know that you will nod in the right places? You will say yes and no in all the right places? That's really true. You're putting your ego in automatic, automatic pilot. And it will do all the right things. It's scared to death that it won't do the right things, and so it'll be sure and do them. <laughs> and you look at the gentleness. Look into the heart of this person. We cannot help seeing bodies, and we cannot help seeing egos. Even those who have laid aside their ego and their body and are here to help us at any time, at any place, still see the ego and the body, still see the world. And that's, of course, how they can help us. It's because they see it. It's just that they see it in total innocence. They see no harm. They make no judgment, but they do see it. So don't try not to see someone's ego. What you want is a soft vision a very, very gentle way of looking that doesn't stop at the ego. This is the mistake we've been making all of our lives. Our vision goes to the ego, to the personality, to the person's opinions, to what they're wearing, to what their face looks like, to their age, to their background, to their generation, to whatever it may be, and it stops cold, dead, right there. All you have to do is to make your vision a little more tender, a little more gentle, a little more carefree. Look at them the way a child would look at them. Look at, the, look at them the way a little child looks at physical deformities and finds them very interesting and sometimes tremendously delightful. The very thing that adults look at and shame, and guilt. And the little child expresses tremendous interest, goes over and touches the place, the hand. And the person feels loved because the little child doesn't stop at the ego, goes on to see the innocence. And then the other thing that might be helpful in these little encounters is to not do more than is necessary. And so we are always volunteering. A Course in Miracles says that um, to the effect, something to the effect that if your brother makes an outrageous demand, to do it. This is discussed in two different places in the Course said in a little bit different words in each one. 
What is your brother's request? That is what people don't ask themselves when they read that that passage. What is your brother and your sister requesting? What is this outrageous demand? That you see them innocent. And this indeed seems outrageous to us, especially with certain people. Outrageous that we would see this person as innocent. It's outrageous what they did. And we must guard it. We must gnaw on it like a bone with no meat. Gnaw and gnaw and guard it from all the other dogs. It has no meat. It's nothing there. It has no vegetables either. I forget, you know, we have a mixture here. <clears throat> has no fruit. All right. Has no air. I'm, I'm thinking of vegetarian, fruitarian, <laughs> air, air, or airarian, or <laughs> Aries, or <laughs> okay. Now the intense, short-term relationship. We'll move on to that. Ah, people are now squirming and sitting up. <laughs> We'll, we'll break this down into being chased and chasing. <laughs> because it's you're in either one or the other. <laughs> we like to pretend that you're, everybody's chasing everyone equally, but this is never the case. And, of course, we think it's better to chase. No, no, we think it's better to be chased than to chase. And, of course, that's not true. But let's start with being chased, which seems so heavenly and wonderful. And we, we actually dress in the morning, to have more of this experience. <laughs> you must understand, if someone is in love with you, they have fantasies too. They have fantasies too. You are not being kind to someone if you give them these little relationships. If you give them these little hopes if you realize that the relationship cannot function on that level, whatever the level that the person is seeking, then be extremely careful as to what you say and what you do. Do you truly wish to lead this person into pain? And so there is a time for openness and honesty. It is not kind to spend a great deal of time with someone who will misinterpret that or to hug them because you hug everyone and you know they will misinterpret that or for you to compliment because you compliment everyone. This is a very difficult thing that we all go through, this business of falling in love. And just because you're not the one doing it doesn't mean that you can't remember having done it and how painful this can be. And so don't protract the pain. And if it's a matter of now your love, in quotes, has ended, but the other hasn't, and now you wish out of the relationship, but the other doesn't, 
don't think that you're doing any favor to this person, person if you, quote, let them down easy. Do you see what this actually does? They have fantasies too. They have hopes too. How does this help someone to keep the hope going a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer? What have you accomplished? Yes, it is difficult because we like being chased. We like being thought attractive, adorable, cute, intelligent, whatever it may be. And this person thinks that. Do not kid yourself. You are reluctant to give up what the world prizes. Having one or more people pant. <laughs> but look a little deeper than that. Look into your heart. Do you truly wish to keep this brother or this sister in pain a little longer? Of course you don't. If you look in your heart, you'll see that you truly do not wish this. And so you look them in the eyes and you simply tell them the way it is, gently and kindly. Of course they will be hurt. Of course they will be angry. And you do it as kindly as you can. Chasing. Now this seems to be even more difficult. This seems to be the truly painful situation in which we love someone and they do not appear to love us. So the first thing to remember is if you find yourself in that situation where you are beginning to suspect that someone doesn't love you, in quotes, or that they don't want to get married after all, or that they don't even want to go on the date, the first one, the first, one, the first date, they don't even want to go on the first date. Um, of course, this is a difficult situation. You're expecting too much of yourself if you think that somehow you can glide through this smoothly. It is, of course, possible to do so. But if we've gotten ourselves in that hole to begin with, generally, it's best to sit there in peace in the hole for a little bit before you start frantically trying to climb out. Just sit there and say, indeed, I'm in a hole. All of my friends know that this person doesn't love me, but I'm not sure. Because, of course, that's always the situation, isn't it? You sit there, someone gives you this long argument as to why they're sure so-and-so still loves you. You've never met them, but you can tell them right now they don't love them because they just told you that they don't love them. It's come out between the lines. However, we find ourselves in that position, or have, haven't we? And we still think that they love us, although we know they don't. And so we keep trying little things. The best advice, of course, is as soon as you see, I'm not talking about the long-term relation, I'm not talking about your child or your spouse or this friend you've had for all your life or your mother or your dad. I'm not speaking of that. I'm talking about these little intense relationships. The best thing, of course, is when you see that it's not being reciprocated is to get out. 
but many people simply can't do that. And if you find yourself in a position of advising someone, you must understand that many people simply cannot get out of the relationship. It's got to hurt a little bit more before they're going to come to their senses. And you are not helping them by being angry at them and telling them that they should stop seeing this person. Of course they should stop seeing this person. Of course they should stop calling the person and hanging out around there. And all the other things, the little, the sudden little excuses that they think of to make contact. Because people will think of all wonderful little spiritual reasons to make contact because they still have this false hope. So, of course, they should get out of the relationship, but many people simply cannot do it. So be their friend. If they tell you they must try longer, then support them in that. Be their friend. You will never hurt anyone by being his or her friend. Even if they are making an obvious mistake that's hurting them, if you can see they are not ready to stop making the mistake, support them in the mistake. Be their friend. Be there for them. Do not criticize them or judge them. They need someone to turn to. Understand them. It is best that they continue trying. If they think they must, then it is best. It is part of their way home. It will take them closer to God, even though it hurts them. Now, if you are in the position of suspecting that the person doesn't like you anymore, And you can't leave the relationship. You've got to stay with it a little bit longer. Then another good idea. These are all just ideas. Another good idea for many people is to then, as best you can, remain in the present with the person. So if you're going to continue seeing them, stay in the present. Don't long for the, the time with them to be longer or more frequent. Don't Spend the time you are with them wondering about when it's going to end and being afraid that it may end sooner than your ego wants it to. If you're going to be with them, then be with them. You can experience God at any time and any situation, no matter what you have done. You are not guilty. And God does not hold your behavior against you. And so even if you're making a mistake, make it gently and peacefully. Argue in peace. Be jealous in peace. And I could make a longer list, but not in church. Yeah. And so now let's take the long-term relationship with your parent or your child or your relative, especially with your spouse or spouse-to-be or whatever. Let's break this into two categories. You have their cooperation. You do not have their cooperation. <laughs> we, of course, are speaking of spiritual cooperation, uh, which everybody thinks is so important. So they walk out of the room when you put on the tape from the dispensable church or they sit there and say, yeah, yeah. 
doesn't matter, people. <laughs> but it seems to matter. So you have their cooperation. Let's talk about that first of all. Now I tell you what. Now let's talk about that first. Okay. Have their cooperation. If you are not thinking you've made a mistake, a mistake, you've made a big, big mistake. You should never have picked this person to be your mother. <laughs> or you knew you shouldn't have gotten drunk that night and this child shouldn't be here. Or whatever the thing is. I mean, we are this insane, people. Do not think that you don't believe that there is some original sin even in this that somehow this is the wrong child. This is the wrong parent. This is the wrong brother-in-law or sister-in-law or mother-in-law. It is not so. It is simply not so. Nor did you nor are you paying for some ghastly mistake that you made. But let's say that you have this person's cooperation. You are pleased to be in the relationship with them. You like mom, or you like dad, or you like child, or whatever, whoever it is, or you like spouse. Then remember this, and watch for it. When you are this person's friend, when you take total responsibility for the relationship, not 50-50, but 100% responsibility for the relationship. When you give for the pleasure of giving, expect nothing in return. When those aren't just words, but a way of life to give and not look at the results. Then you will notice that when you and this person are together, you have enormous strength. We have to recognize that we are more than this little body sometime. We have to recognize that we did not succeed in separating ourselves into several billion souls. We just didn't. We did not succeed. It never became a fact. You are not separate from this person. And the time will come in which you will recognize you are indeed this person. Now, in the beginning, this is an insane concept. And you don't have to worry about it or fret over it or think about it a lot. Just see that this is your brother or your sister or someone of like mind. That's enough. Or someone who is capable of being loved. That there is something there that can be loved. There is something there. But the reason why you feel such enormous strength, not strength to manipulate the world, but strength to awaken, strength to be happy, strength to know the presence of God, strength to reach out and touch in tenderness with your thoughts, strength to stay on this gentle path, enormous strength to be peaceful and happy. The reason is is that you realize you didn't succeed in separating yourself from anyone. No matter how deeply you believed it, no matter how many lists you made of the differences between you and other people, 
It never came true. It was an illusion. And so when you join with just one other person, even if it's just a feeling of warmth and companionship, feel the strength flow into you because you are experiencing the oneness of Christ. You're experiencing the oneness of God when you do that. So what do you do if you have this person's cooperation? You practice this warmth and this friendship, this feeling of oneness. You do anything that you'd need to to bring it about. Anything is fine to do if it brings about this sense of oneness. This does not mean that we say yes to people's ego. As a matter of fact, it's always a mistake to say yes to an ego request. It is never a kindness for you to do a favor if your, if your heart is not in it. And we say yes so many times. We invite someone over or we spend time with someone or we do a little thing for them or we give them something. And our heart is not in it. And so we are angry. Where is the kindness in this? This is an empty, hollow gesture that makes them feel bad. And so it's best never to agree to do something that you know is simply coming from that person's ego. Unless you are absolutely sure you can do it gently and in peace. So if you've agreed to do something and you realize you really don't want to, and that it was probably an ego request, but you've already agreed to it and you're going to do it anyway, then sit down and do it in peace. Sit down and see that if you're going to do it, you're going to do it holding hands with your best friend. You're going to do it with the cloak of Christ wrapped around you. Why not do it that way? Now, let's say you don't have a cooperation, and this will, this will be the last thing I'll talk about. Don't have the cooperation. They won't listen to the tapes. They won't come a half hour early. They still call Ramdas Baba Ramdas. They won't learn. These are important things, people. They don't eat spiritual food. So forth. Now, what do you do? So many people think they're in that situation. They think they're strapped with some burden. They're, they're strapped with... with uh, you see, we don't realize how we get ourselves in this situation. It's so innocent. And it's so it's so extricable once we are in that situation. But let's just take, for example, physical attractiveness. And so in the beginning it seems like it's so important that our that our partner be physically attractive. But what happens when you get to know someone who's beautiful? They aren't beautiful anymore. Have you noticed that? As soon as you get to know someone who's beautiful, they aren't beautiful anymore. And we wake up with such great surprise. 
I married this beautiful person and they're not beautiful anymore. That's the way of the world. There's no divine law here. That's just the way of the world. When you see the personality, the person's looks begin to change. And of course, it's the other way too. You see the gentleness and the innocence in anybody and they become beautiful. I was interested that when they did that special on tens, what women are tens, Mother Teresa was one of them. And I could understand that. I don't know if the people who produced it understood it. (laughs) But they happened to guess right. (laughs) So what do you do if you don't appear to have this person's cooperation? You ask for help. Never be afraid to ask for help. You can't do anything alone. You don't think you are with someone. You don't think you have a friend. You think you are separate. So heal yourself of that by turning to your teacher, by turning to your God and realizing that you are not alone. Even if you don't feel it, Say the words to yourself. I'm not alone. Talk to God as if God were there. Talk to your friend, your guardian. Whatever you wish, whatever term you like using for this one who walks beside you and always has. Just say the words. Just start saying the words right in the midst of all the the desert of the relationship. Just start saying the words to yourself. I'm not alone in this. There is help. There is a way. Not a way necessarily to stay in the relationship. Possibly that's not going to happen. But that isn't your purpose now. You are in the relationship now. And so one thing you must do is you must commit yourself to the relationship at least for a time. A time that includes the present. You have no possibility, no chance of being happy if you think you ought to get out of a relationship while you are in it. So at least say, I'm in this relationship for today. And so for this one day, I will commit myself to it totally. Tomorrow morning, I will sit down and see if I wish to leave the relationship. Or if you see that you're going to be in it for at least a week. You're on your honeymoon. (laughs) Don't spend the honeymoon thinking, I wonder if I should get out of this relationship. You will be miserable. Where's the chance? There's no chance of healing if that thought's there. There's no chance of you enjoying your job if you think, I wonder if I should be, if I should get out of this job. You're in the job today. Therefore, give it everything. Give it everything good in you. Commit yourself totally to the job. Now, you think what will happen is that if you do that, you will forget that maybe you should get out of it. That's really what we think. Somehow, we should get out of it. And if we act as if we shouldn't for one day, that thought's going to get erased 
and we're going to spend the rest of our life in a relationship that we shouldn't have been in because we saw that we shouldn't have been in in the beginning and then we did this forgiveness stupid stuff and we forgot that and here we are 40 years later and it was a mistake all along. It doesn't work that way. And it's complicated. People, you do not destroy your mind or your insight. You do not befuddle yourself by practicing commitment. You do not see things less clearly by practicing commitment and devotion. Whatever you are doing, do not say, do not ask yourself, am I, is this a mistake? If you're doing it, it's not a mistake because you're doing it and God's with you. And there are no mistakes in God. So if you can commit yourself to the relationship for a month, say, I will not think about whether I will leave this relationship for a month. And I promise you, you will see the relationship more clearly. And if you need to get out of it, you will have the strength to get out of it quickly and happily. What else is helpful if you don't have the person's cooperation? It's helpful not to discuss your doubts with other people. When you put your doubts in the minds of other egos, you will experience a sense of hopelessness, a sense that it has been taken away from you, that the problem has been taken out of your hands because you have put it into the hands of others. That's why you have that sense. You think you've done something real and true, and therefore you experience the results of it. So if you've already talked a lot about it, then don't talk any more about it. And if you haven't talked about it yet, don't talk about it, unless you can talk to someone about it in a spiritual context, and you know you will get truthful, good ideas from this person, not some alliance, not some taking of sides. This is not a happy thing to go around and broadcast the faults that we think we are seeing in someone that we are married to or some relative of ours or some friend. This is not a happy thing to do. It will not lead you in a good place. And so simply see that and don't do that. Handle it with God, not with other egos. Picture Jesus sitting down beside you. Draw up a chair and put him there and discuss this thing with him so gently. And listen, listen, listen. You're conflicted. You do not know what's in your best interest or you wouldn't be in the relationship if it were in your best interest to have already left it. You are conflicted. You do not know. Admit you don't know. And don't ask your best friend if you should get out of the relationship. Simply say, I'm in big trouble. What do I do? What do I do? because your friend will advise you how to be happy now. Your friend knows that you will never be outside of now, and your friend wants you to learn how to be happy now. 
And so this question of whether or not you should do something in the future is totally irrelevant unless it is it has come up right now. Okay, in all of these things we've mentioned, the uh, short-term encounter and the uh, tense, longer encounter and the long-term relationship, there is a little practice that can be very helpful. And so I, I want us to end the service with this. And I want to mention an idea to you that I've mentioned several times before, but it's an extremely helpful one if you can get a sense of what I'm saying. I've used the word mnemonics. First of all, do not try to look up that word because it is not spelled in a logical way. It is mnemonics, but it is spelled M-N. But it is actually a word, and many of you are familiar with it. It simply means the study of how to remember. And I've mentioned this little illustration again, but if you can get a sense of it, you will learn to heal today. So here's the illustration I've given you before. You're going to go into your office and you have three things that you have to do. One of them is you've got to make a phone call and that's the first thing you want to do. The second thing is you want to write something on your calendar and the third thing is you want to put something in the outbox. And so one of the old mnemonics techniques is that before you get to the office, so that you won't forget it, you picture a number one sitting on top of the telephone. You picture a number two on the calendar and a number three on top of the outbasket. And you do this every time you think of it because these are very important things. Very important things. You cannot forget to do that. And as all the stuff is going to happen between now and the office, and you know you're likely to forget it, and so every time you think of it, you put that one right on top of the phone and so forth. And a lot of things happen. Of course, you do forget it, and you walk in the office, and you've forgotten it. And you look at the phone, and somehow it's different. Because you have done this in your mind. You've put the one on it over and over again. And suddenly you realize, there's a one on top. (laughs) Sounds like Sesame Street, doesn't it? (laughs) There's a one on top of the telephone. The phone is different. This is all there is to healing. That's all there is. You take one person and you wrap them in light and you shower them with blessings. And when you see them again, they will be different. That's all healing is. Healing takes place in our mind. We seek no external results. The phone was not different. And we are not discouraged because the phone didn't turn it turn into a touch tone or something, you see. Or a cordless that we could carry off. Gosh, it's just the same old phone. It is different because you are seeing more than the phone. You are seeing more than the ego when you surround someone in light. Now, you are doing far more than this when you surround someone in light. But you are at least doing that much. You are healing yourself of the dark images you have about this person. Whether it's this person that you're going to have this little encounter with, or this person you're living with, or this person that you once had an intense relationship and you know you're going to come across them again in the party tonight or something. Or the person who's going to have the operation. Or the person who's dying of cancer. 
or whatever it is. There are these little dark images in your mind. And so you take the person, you hug them to your heart, and you bathe them in light. Say their name and see light. Do anything like that. But do it every time they come to your thought. Because it's important. And you will do more than heal them in your mind and see them differently next time. The Christ in you will call to the Christ in them. And did you know you will have taken this brother, this sister by the hand, and led them a step or two toward home? And they did not even know it.